The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. First, there are overrides. Then there were lawsuits. The story of the 2023 session. So let's start with the overrides. On Tuesday afternoon, both the House and the Senate held pretty lengthy sessions to override five bills that had been vetoed. What is interesting about Tuesday's activities is that some of those bills were House bills and some were Senate bills. So whatever chamber that bill originated in, they have to be the first chamber to vote on the override. So each chamber was waiting for the other chamber on particular bills, again, another special messenger situation, and all five vetoes were overridden. Didn't keep folks from speaking on every single veto override. We had a pretty robust debate. We talked to a legislator yesterday, and we're like, are you guys going to go long? And he said, we might as well. We're waiting on the Senate. The Senate's waiting on us. We might as well talk in between the special messenger bringing the bills over to each chamber. Three of those bills, the two elections bills that we have covered extensively, that's Senate Bill 747 and Senate Bill 749. One is the procedure bill, and one is the governance bill for local and state board of elections. Those bills passed on party lines, so 72 votes in the House, 30 votes in the Senate. And then the other bill that passed along party lines on the veto override is Senate Bill 512, and that's a boards and commissions bill. That is something that gives the legislature some more appointment power also a party line vote, but the other two did get some Democrats. Senate Bill 678, which is the Clean Energy Other Changes Bill. This has to do with how we classify clean energy. There was also the Reg Reform Act of 2023. Now, this was a litany of items in House Bill 600, uh, loosen some water quality requirements, the controversial pipeline issue. That was something that Governor Cooper took issue with, but those are some really good paying jobs that are here in North Carolina, and the legislature was able to have a bipartisan vote on that as well. So not long after that, there were some lawsuits filed that were clearly ready to go at the moment that those bills passed. There was a lawsuit from the Democratic National Committee and the North Carolina Democratic Party, and that is on the elections bill. Additionally, Governor Cooper sued the legislature on Senate Bill 512, again, because that's giving some power to them that Governor Cooper previously had. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, McCrory, Uh, V. Berger and Mm -hmm. kind of that line of case law. Yeah. He's saying he's protecting the executive branch, that he has to be a steward of the executive branch. And he says that the, uh, you know, the election bills are unconstitutional. He used the term power grab. We've heard that over a lot over the last month, you know, cited the fact that the Supreme Court over the years has held bipartisan decisions that the legislature cannot seize. Again, another word we've heard, executive power like this, no matter what political parties control which offices. This is not over, and I imagine we will hear some dates pretty soon for hearings. Those lawsuits were filed on Tuesday. On Wednesday, there was a lawsuit filed in federal court on House Bill 808, and that's that gender-affirming care bill. So look for lots of lawsuits to be happening once they get out of session. And if veto overrides were not enough for yesterday, we did end the session 
with a resolution supporting the state of Israel. We all know that uh, mm-hmm. Israel is at war with Hamas, a terrorist group. They are waging a horrific war in the Gaza Strip. A little politics seeped in yesterday as this unanimous vote was taken. There were some Democrats on the House side that walked off the floor. And then I believe on the Senate side, there were some folks that didn't sign on to the resolution. In the last 24 hours, we have seen a lot of discussion about that. If you want to get on Twitter, you can see the back and forth on that. Now, as this is all going on, We have something else that's happening behind closed doors at the General Assembly. Redistricting. And we talked about redistricting in depth last week. There were announcements from both the House and the Senate that there would not be votes on maps until the week of October 24th. But Senator Berger did say that next week they feel they'll release the maps and maybe have some committee hearings. We also got some announcements about the end of session. Speaker Moore concluded session yesterday by giving members the calendar. It sounds like we could be wrapping up the long session at the end of that week, around October 26th. But he did say it could bleed into the next week. So is it the 31st? Is it November 1st? We're thinking we don't really go past the first full week in November. Ending on Halloween could be fun. Is Halloween on a weekday? It is. I believe Halloween's on a Tuesday. Mm. We could all dress up as what? Your favorite legislator. (laughs) I'm going with Senator Bobby Hannock. (laughs) Some news this week. Someone's not running for re-election after this biennium. Representative Kristen Baker, a doctor out of Cabarrus County, announced she will not be running for re-election. And in her statement, she didn't say what she was going to do next, just that she would not be running. Representative Baker took the place of Representative Linda Johnson, who died a few years back. We heard in the hallway yesterday as we were talking about Dr. Baker's announcement that we could expect more announcements. Now, a lot of this has to do with the fact that we have been in a very long, long session. I think legislators are going to go home and think about it, but if they had to file for election today, I think we'd see a lot more announcements coming. But we don't really want to put those rumors out there. We did hear some specific names, but let's just let this sit for a while and let folks, uh, let some wounds heal here. We have a candidate who's going to run as a Democrat for state superintendent. Mo Green, who is the former superintendent of schools at Guilford County. And Mo Green went on to be the executive director of the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation. He has announced that he's going to run as a Democrat. Of course, he will be challenging Kathy Truitt, who is the incumbent. She's completing her first term uh, next year. Uh, I imagine there will be some others that get in the race. But right now, we have a Democrat and a Republican vying for that seat. And then uh, the worst kept secret in Raleigh uh, was finally let out of the bag yesterday in a formal announcement just one block from our office at Shaw University. Not that it was a secret, but Josh Stein kicked off, officially kicked off his campaign. You know, we all saw his campaign announcement. What was that? Six, eight months ago? Mm -hmm. It's a long time ago. But he kicked off his tour yesterday at Shaw. It triggered a response from his challenger in that race. Former Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan took issue with the Attorney General coming to Southeast Raleigh. This is a historically black neighborhood that Shaw University is in and pretty much sounded like the Attorney General was being a carpetbagger just kind of coming into Southeast Raleigh. We're not going to validate one way or another, but we are going to say this, that I think the gloves are going to come off in this Democratic primary for the nomination. Mr. Morgan feels like he is itching for a fight. The Stein campaign had no response to that. Probably see that as a strategy moving forward. Additionally, we want to wish Travis Fainwell. He announced that he was leaving WRAL at the end of the year. 
and did not say what he's going to do, but I think he said something communications-wise. Yeah, he's looking for work. He doesn't know what is next in his life. I talked to him yesterday at the General Assembly. He feels like he has some opportunities that are going to head his way. He is a very talented reporter. We have had him on the podcast. We love Travis Fain and his reporting. Wish him the best of luck. This week, we got to sit down with another freshman legislator in the House, Representative Jared Lowry. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Jared Lowry, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. Tell us about your district. Where is your district? What do you think makes your district special? So I am from Robinson County, and District 47 encompasses just about... I want to say maybe three-fifths of Robinson County. I share the rest of it with Representative Brendan Jones. Um, but Robinson County has been described as probably the most diverse rural county, at least in the South, maybe even the nation. Um, we have a pretty uh, unique um, ethnic makeup or racial makeup. Uh, the plurality of the county are members of the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina, the American Indians, and we have a strong um, white population, black population, and a growing Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a river, a lumber river that runs straight through the county, and we're kind of like at a crossroads of eastern, you know, United States with I-95 and, and Interstate 74, you know, uh, coming straight through the county. Uh, Robs County is a very, in my opinion, very, very unique place, um, not just with the, the, the ethnic diversity, but the the strong roots of, of, of all of the communities. I mean, the Scots-Irish communities, I mean, it's... To me, it's it's the it's the best place in the world. It's the place where my um, you know, my grandparents are buried. Hopefully, one day I'm gonna be buried. Mm. My children will be buried. Uh, my people's been there for ten thousand years, and I don't plan on leaving. Mm. Um, so it's it's home. T- talk to us a little bit about growing up in Robinson County. Yeah, so I've spent you know pretty much my whole life in Robinson County, other than time when when the United States Marine Corps decided to take me here or there. And um, I grew up with a, a, a single mother. Uh, with my mom raised two two children, two sons. I don't know how she did it, but she did it to the help of the Lord. But, uh, you know, growing up in Robinson County, my experience is all about family. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those where there was times where actually we lived with our, our grandparents. Uh, you know, we went through some, some tough times and struggles when I was younger, and we lived with our grandparents. And it was one of those after church on Sunday— like everybody gathered at grandma and granddaddy's house and we ate and every holiday packed out, right? It didn't matter if it was Independence Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, everybody came over to grandma and granddaddy's house and we ate. Um, really based around family, you know, church and family. And we spent Wednesday nights at church, Sunday mornings at church, you know, revivals. Um, but I say this, you know, Robs County is still one of the um, poor places in the state. And uh, I grew up in a in, in a little area uh, for the vast part of my life where, you know, drugs was everywhere, crime was everywhere. You know, we used to talk about how one every four homes in Robs County has been broken into. I can tell you, my my vehicle's been ran through a couple of times because I left it, you know, open unlocked at night through you know, my my fault. I've been shot at in Robinson County. Mm. Um, it's very, uh, you see a lot of things I think children shouldn't have to see, but, you know, that's the environment. And it made me appreciate now as an adult what my mom and my grandparents and my dad did to um, make sure that I had the good living that I did. Um, you know, I could have easily fallen down a path of drugs and alcohol or just not caring because there's some people who just simply don't care. They see what's around them and they don't think there's anything better for them. But man, my mama worked hard. Mm-hmm. Like my mama constantly worked hard. I mean, through the, you know, she lost her, you know, her primary job through, you know, from NAFTA, um, when Abbott Laboratories in Scotland County decided to close. And it was kind of really tough, but man, she persevered and she fed two sons who you can tell like to eat. I mean, I've, I've never missed a meal. Now, she she probably has, but, you know, she made sure we ate. Good and, eating um, down there, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, we have some great food. You know, we put this lumpy spin on everything. But but I tell you, if you've never had a college sandwich or grape ice cream, you need to come to Rob's County. Okay. I have not. Yeah. Have not. So we'll, we'll take care of that next time. Okay, summer. let's do it. You. Let's do it. But, but I tell you, I, I enjoyed 
growing up in Robinson County, and I have a, I think I have a better understanding of what I've actually had to deal with. But I say this, even though, you know, I grew up in a strong Lumbee community, about 94, 95% of the people are Lumbee. We grew up around everybody. Like everybody had a white friend, a black friend, an Indian friend, a Hispanic friend. Like we, you know, there wasn't no, I grew up here and didn't know anybody, you know, or anybody who looked different to me or maybe even sound different to me. We grew up together. And I think that was very, very good that we all kind of had to understand who we were, but also it really didn't matter what anybody else looked like because we're all dealing with the same, we're dealing with the same struggles, you know, drug abuse and alcohol abuse in our families and we're all poor and we're all, you know, it's, it's, so it was a, it was a really good experience. Um, but I tell you, there's a strong love for the Lord in Robinson County. There is a, a strong, um, you know, a Protestant tradition there. And, uh, I think that is a, a big help to help people get past some of the struggles and keeps families together. But yeah, family, if I, if somebody asked me to describe Robbins County in one word, it's family, family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've been very active in the tribe and can you talk a little bit about its role in your life? So when you ask me about the tribe, the first thing that comes about is just who we are people. And not the tribal government itself, just, just just the people. So we all we all know that we're Lumbee. You know, I, I was I've been Lumbee my entire life. And you know, people look at me and say, "Well, what part Indian are you?" Like I'm Lumbee. Like I'm, I don't I don't know if I really need to be a quarter or sixteenth or like I'm Lumbee. That's all I've ever known. And I can tell you, we're we're very very proud of that. We're very very proud that we're you know we're a little bit different and. We have excelled. You know, we're there's a lot of Lumbee who um, history been like the first, you know, American Indian lawyer in the state or, or doctor in the state, electrician in the state. You know, we started our own banks and electric companies and businesses. And we're very, very proud of that. And we had to. You grew up in the in the past in the Jim Crow South. You know, you had to create your own businesses. And so a lot of folks are very proud of that. And, and so the tribe itself as the tribal government and the people you know, we have been able to create some opportunities uh, uh, for, for people. You know, years ago, we, we had this awesome place called the, now called the Lumbee Culture Center where we have our powwows at, our stickball fields. And we have an amphitheater where the story of Henry Barry Lowry is told through um, Strike It to Win, who was kind of a Robin Hood during the Civil War. Oh, it used to be the only public swimming pool that, that Lumbee could go to was at this place. And so mm-hmm. people learned to swim there in basketball courts. Um and so being a Lumbee was always very, very important to us because we, we knew that we were a little bit unique, you know, a little bit different. You know, I tell this story, and I got to tell this story. I love my granddaddy, right? Mm-hmm. Granddaddy had like a third-grade education, built his own house, was a great carpenter. But I remember as a little boy, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years old, I told granddaddy, I said, hey, granddaddy, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be this when I grow up. And he looked at me and said, well, booty. He said, that's good. He said, but you know, people who get to do stuff like that, they don't have the same skin color as you do. And he pointed down at me. And I had no idea what that meant, right? I mean, this is, you know, I was born in 1988. You know, I became an adult in, you know, 2006. I have no idea what that meant. Um, I remember uh, my granddaddy ended up passing away about six months before I could graduate college. Mm-hmm. And um, he would count down the semesters. Hey, you only got four semesters left, three semesters left. And um, I know... That when my granny passed away, he knew that his grandsons can do whatever they wanted to do. You know, he didn't have the opportunities that I had opportunities that he never would have had in his lifetime. He could ever dream of. And so I take that weight and I appreciate that. I seen what, you know, the 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 struggles even later in life that him and my grandmother had, you know, been part of that greatest generation, mm-hmm. you know, um, that saved their money in, in a safe, you know, instead of putting it in a bank. Like, and it was just just a different different world. And um, so I do appreciate that, and I appreciate him sharing a lot with me. And so I try to take that weight with me because I know there's that not just Lumbee people, but people in southeastern North Carolina, rural North Carolina in general, can share stories like that. I got to unpack one thing you said when you're telling about your grandfather booty yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he uh he, he my granddaddy used the word booty i mean he would that was be his you know uh that was that was his word for us you know booty what you doing <laughs> booty you know that that was his word did he refer to all of the kids that yeah as booty? okay yeah, everybody yeah. yeah he referred to it that just wasn't my nickname so, okay. but that was everybody yeah he would just say yeah booty was his, his word okay Okay, so you were in the military for six years. Yes. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about what made you come back to Robinson County and 
just kind of why you want to serve your county. Yeah. Well, you know, I believe that, that Robbins County is the greatest place on, you know, in, in the entire country. Like I said, it, it's home to me. That's, that's the only way I can really explain, you know, that it's home. Um, I also, you know, love America. You know, I'm a student of history and I understand where we are in the world has been a very, very unique place. And, you know, I wanted to serve. I wanted to serve my community. I wanted to give back. And, you know, for some of us, it's also a way that you can one day maybe even go to college, you know, mm-hmm. join the military. But I wanted to give back. Like, I wanted to give back to my community. So I joined the United States Marine Corps right out of, you know, right out of high school. And there was no other place I, I, I really wanted to come back to. Like, there was no other, I had no other plans. Like, I wanted to come back. I wanted to go to UNCP. And I wanted to start, you know, start my life and career from there. To be honest with you, I had no, I, I didn't plan past UNC Pembroke. So everything mm-hmm. that's happened since 2012 has been the way the Lord's kind of figured things out. You know, we always talk about how Robbins County is at the top of the bad list and at the bottom of the good list. Well, the only way it changes is by us. So let's go to 2018 and you decide to run for the House. Uh, Charles Graham is the incumbent. Mm-hmm. Your decision to get into that race, and I, I know it wasn't successful that first run, what propels you to sign up at the Board of Election to run for the North Carolina House? So at the time, I was working actually in the North Carolina Department of Insurance. I was okay. working for Commissioner Causes, one of his regional directors, and I had you know been involved in politics. I mean, we had all, you know, uh, Robs County Republican Party, we had a young, young, young Republican club, I think a few years prior. And, you know, ever since I was 15 or 16, you know, I've been working the polls, right, trying to trying to get more people to vote Republican. And then uh, 2014, we saw a little spike up and saw some Republicans win a couple of precincts. Like, okay, that's interesting. So we kept working. And in 2016, um, Trump won. Um, you know, McCroy won. Everybody won the county. You know, all the top Republicans won. So we're like, oh, wow, the county's finally starting to change. And in the Lummi community, it finally started voting more Republican at the time. And so you were looking for candidates. And, you know, I'd spent my time like said, driving around the county, you know, building a lot of re- relationships in general just for, for, for work and for political purposes. And so I got a phone call. I said, Jerry, hey, won't you consider running? I said, well, I said, I, I don't know. I'm like, you know. I've never actually, I've helped campaigns. Right? We've all helped, but I've actually never been a candidate, you know. And and um, so I decided to say, you know what, I, I think I will. So I, I, it, it was tough. Now, I prayed a lot. I did a lot. I think I did at home. I think I did a lot of circles in, in my um, in my <laughs> living room. Um, probably need a new carpet. But uh <laughs> I I finally decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. You know, the, the county's changing, and you never knew what 2018 would be like, but I knew the county was changing. Like, you know, Senator Britt won in 2016. That was another one. I said, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm going to just do it. Like, I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going to see what we can do, and I'm going to work as hard as I can. And I'd be honest with you, I worked extremely hard. Um, you know, it was what we consider a blue wave year. We had an incumbent who was fairly popular. You know, m- m- everybody knows Mr. Graham, knows his family. Um, really good guy. Also comes out of the tribe too, right? Yes, he's, yeah. he's a Lumbee as well. And so I decided to run. I shook probably more hands and walked more praise than I ever thought I would in any given time. I didn't raise a ton of money. I think I did very well for a challenger. And I tell you what, I was coming down to that last month, I was not nervous compared to 2022. Not nervous at all. I was like, man, we worked hard. If we win this, we win this. If we don't, we don't. I mean, I've been to every, you know, church homecoming and plate sale and parade and everywhere I can be, you know, knocked on tons of doors, went out and knocked on doors by myself from time to time. Um, so I worked hard. And, hey, if we win this, we win this. And if we don't, you know, it's, it's okay. And I had no stress and um, we lost. Mm. We lost uh, 41 to the 59. I mean, I pretty much got crushed, um, mm. but I got 41% of the vote, mm-hmm. which was most anybody had ever gotten. I got represented against, you know, Representative Graham, and, and I'd done fairly well. I won some precincts, and I felt pretty good. But I, a funny story, uh, in 2018, I am walking. So, Lumbee Homecoming, we have a huge parade to end Homecoming that last Saturday, and it's probably at least the biggest parade I've ever seen. I mean, it's pretty massive. And so I'm walking it, shaking hands. Like I'm going from side to side, Jared Lowry and see house at 47. You know, I'm shaking hands, shaking hands. And so apparently I shook a young lady's hands named Jennifer Parks. Oh, this is going to be sweet too. 
and that was July 2018. So I met a Jennifer Parks in up in uh, February of 2019, wow. and she says, "Hey, you know we've met before, right?" I said, "We've met." She said, "Yeah, you shook my hand, asked for my vote." <laughs> <laughs> and that was on our first date. <laughs> like you don't even remember me. Oh, and I said, "Well, listen." I said, "I, I made sure I, I, I shook the hand of every pretty lady I saw." So there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, um, so that was actually 2018. Actually, kind of, kind of introduced me to who would end up being my wife one wow. day. I know, right? So, um, that was pretty cool. Uh, but I tell you what, I learned a lot in 20. I met a lot of people in 2018. I met a lot of people who wanted some change, who wanted something different. And in 2018, Robs County, we elected our first sheriff and our first district attorney, I think in a very, very long time. Station, our first district attorney, I think in over 20 years. And so there was a lot of change going on. I think we elected a new judge as well. And so people wanted something new. Um, but I, I ran against a popular incumbent who'd been there 10 years, like I said, deep family roots, like, like myself. And, um, and, uh, but there, I met a lot of people who wanted change and those people kind of stuck with me. Um, and actually in 20, so I didn't run in 2020 cause they changed around the district and my home precinct went and went into Brendan Jones's, uh, uh, district. And so no way to run there, but, uh, work, work hard in 2020 try to help everyone out and then actually in 2021 my brother john ran for lumbee tribal chairman um which robinson scotland hogan cumberland county and a lot of folks that i met i introduced to john and so truth be told 20 2018 turned into 2021 election cycle and then on election day 2021 i get a i'm, I'm literally sitting at 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 the precinct that we thought we were going to lose. And it was the only precinct that my brother thought he was going to lose. It was, it was there in Cumberland County. And so I'm trying, I'm working and I get a phone call and it's Stephen Wiley. Oh yeah. And he says, Hey Jared, I know you got a real busy day. And he's the house caucus director, sure. Republican caucus director. And he says, I know you got a busy day. I know you got a lot going on, but uh, I want you to consider running for state house again in 2022. I said, well, so I appreciate that, but let me, let me finish one election first. And then yeah. we'll think about the, you know, the next one tomorrow. So, that was kind of me, you know, yeah. getting recruited again. Yeah. And then my brother's very successful, you know, in his election. And so, yeah. Here you are. Here I am now, yeah. So between 2018 and 2022, you alluded to this. You got married, mm -hmm. have a family, a couple stepkids, and yeah. a mm -hmm. new daughter. Can you talk about how that maybe changed your decision to run or how that's added um, to the decision? So I, I got married in, in, in 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, and my wife has always been very supportive. Like she doesn't get my passion for politics and she really doesn't care too much about it. Um, well, but, did she vote for you in 2018? <laughs> 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 so I checked. So she didn't live in the district. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that was it. Um, but um, she didn't uh, 2022. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But um. She, she's been very, very supportive, like totally, you know, understands if I can't be home early or have to, you know, especially like being here in Raleigh and being on the campaign trail, like she's totally supportive and appreciative of that. So when I decided to run in 2022, I think filing was like October, November, December, somewhere around that time frame, you know, they kept moving it. Well, at that time I had two stepchildren, two amazing stepchildren, but in April of 2022, I found out that we were going to have our first child together, you know, my yeah. first child. Yeah. And so, yeah, that definitely changed a lot of things. Yeah. Because I would think about my stepchildren, I would think of stepchildren, I would think about my um, my niece and my nephew, you know, what type of world we're creating for them. And now it's all about Madison. Like, we're not all about Madison, but now she's a baby. She's a, you know, this huge new life that is really going to change my life because I've never had a baby before. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I think about her all the time. Like, I think about, um, you know, every decision I make or every everything I decide to do. Or, you know, I think about how, you know, it may affect her future. Um, I just hope one day I can make her proud. Yeah, I'm sure you are going to make her proud. Before we get into what your freshman term has been like, I'd like for you to kind of give us your perspective on the transition we've seen in Robeson County over the last couple decades. Can you reflect on the transition we've seen from a reliable Democratic area to a pretty reliable Republican area? Do you have, have you thought about 
that transition? I'm sure you have because you were working in the Republican Party for years before you were elected. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I kind of lived this whole transition. And um, in Robinson County, you know, we spoke about earlier how it was kind of a tri-racial county. Mm-hmm. And if you set the stage back in, let's say, 2004, which I think at the time was a high watermark for Republicans, well, at least on the presidential level. And President Bush, I think, got like 46, 47 percent, which was kind of high. Now, you know, um, other Democratic candidates got, you know, in the 60s or 70s against their Republican opponents. You had areas of the county that's considered the white areas of the county that voted Republican in the election. The black areas of the county uh, uh, voted uh, Democratic. And then the Lumbee precincts voted Democratic. Mm-hmm. And what I have seen... Uh, especially since 2012, I'd say, uh, 2014, you could really see some numbers, is that you, you saw that, that General Lumbee, those Lumbee precincts changed how they voted. Mm-hmm. The, the, the the white precincts, I think, got redder, and then these Lumbee precincts went from being blue, light blue, to red, to fire red. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened is there's two things happened. Number one, Republicans actually started to show up. So Richard Hudson actually came down and campaigned. Um, uh, Pat McCroy actually came down and campaigned. I mean, he sat in Lumbee churches. Uh, and you had uh, Republicans actually showing up, showing some interest in Lumbee people. And for most American Indians, we kind of feel like you were left out or were those those other folks. I mean, literally sometimes they have to mark other. But sometimes mm-hmm. we're those other folks that just constantly get overlooked or sometimes we were – we were thought as being reliably democratic. So why go down there and campaign? Right. And that changed when that changed when Republicans started showing up. Mm-hmm. Hey, we, we want your vote. You are, you are just as important as everybody else. You know, how can, you know, what can we do to earn your vote? Because lumpy people and a lot of people in Rob's County are already generally conservative, mm-hmm. you know, especially socially conservative and, and physically conservative. But now you have these, conservative candidates showing up all across Robinson County, not just Lumbee areas, but all across Robinson County saying, Hey, I want your vote. Like, mm-hmm. this is my beliefs. And so, and then we started running some local candidates. You know, I mean, we had somebody run for sheriff in 2014. And so people started to, to change. And in 2016, you had a presidential candidate who I think tried his best to, or at least tried his best or inadvertently maybe to reach out to those forgotten folks, those working class folks. And there's a lot of people in Robs County who are working class. We were, we were extremely hit. We were straight, we were hit extremely hard by NAFTA. Mm-hmm. They lost 12, 14,000 jobs. And so there's this idea out there that people just did not care about working people. And so Republicans started talking about working people, working class people. And so you had, uh, you know, Lumbee people and people in Robs County in general started to think, Hey, maybe we can vote for these big, bad Republicans. You know, they're kind of sounding like we're sounding and they're, they have the same beliefs that we, we, we have, and they're actually here at our doorstep. So why not give them a shot? So that was huge. And I think this, I think the last thing, they kind of feel like Democrats in a sense have went far, far left on a lot of issues and it makes them really uncomfortable to talk about or they don't understand why they focus on these issues when people lose their jobs or prices are too high. And so I think that there's a general feeling in Robbins County that Democrats may have went way far to the left on some things, and that's what they focus on. And so, you know, they're kind of unwelcome, they feel, in, in their party, uh, in that party. And so people have – and there's been a slow change of registration, but there's a huge change in, in voting habits. And I think those are kind of the, the reasons why people change. And you look at those Lumbee precincts now where, you know, like I said, my home precinct the Prospect, we're about 94 to 96 percent – you know, Lumbee, and I got 87% of the vote, I think. Um, President Trump got about almost 80% of the vote. So it's, it's, it's huge. It's been a huge change. So you are a freshman, and since coming in, you have been very active. You've been working on lots of bills, a few bills that have already passed and been signed. Um, can you talk about what that's been like and maybe a bill you're proudest of? Mm. Well, I tell you, being in the General Assembly, especially as a new member, especially as a freshman, it's like drinking from a fire hose, except there's two of them. <laughs> and they're pointed in opposite directions, and you're having to turn left or right to drink. I mean, it's everything comes at you, and we vote on so many things, and you guys know this. We vote on so many things that, that range from health care, taxes, education, you know, agriculture, you name it. 
and you want to be at least somewhat, you know, understanding of these issues. So I've, I, I would find myself, especially at the beginning of the session, just constantly reading and trying to, to keep up with everything. You know, everybody stopped by and says, hey, you know, this bill's coming up. want your support. And so I'm trying to read it so I have an understanding of actually what we're voting on. Um, and so it's a lot of information being thrown at you. I have really enjoyed it. I think we have... You know, I say the Republican caucus, we have a great caucus of people, but just in, in, in general, like, you know, everybody in the General Assembly is, well, in the House, uh, I, don't, I, I know them a lot better than the Senate, but rather you're a Democrat or a Republican, like, we all really get along. There's a lot of great folks on both sides. And so it's really been a good experience to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm able to look up under the hood. Because mm-hmm. um, now in the General Assembly, uh, I'm able to learn things and get an idea of you know where these taxes go or what we spend on this or how this is done. I can answer questions that I could not answer you know as as in the general public because we have a whole staff that helps me look through like things like the state budget. Um, so I have really enjoyed it, and so now I'm actually able to take a lot of information back home and say, "Hey guys, I know you've been wondering where all this, where all your vehicle registration money goes to, and this is where it goes." Mm-hmm. And those are simple questions that people, you know, have questions. Excuse me, those are answers that people have questions to. But I say this, you're right. I had my first bill, uh, the pass, uh, the um, American Indians Graduating with Honors Act, which uh, allows. Uh, American Indian students to graduate from a North Carolina public school wearing a feather, rather it be, you know, eagle feather, hawk feather, turkey feather, whatever, you know, that, that may be. And so for for a lot of American Indian people, for all American Indian people, uh, uh, feathers are a sign of, of it's an honor to be gifted a feather. Hmm. And so we actually have uh, feather ceremonies for seniors who are graduating in high school, um, but they could never wear them. And the thing is, is that the state law gave it gave authority to the local school boards and superintendents to decide, you know, what that graduation regalia looks like. And in Robinson County, where the majority of students are Lumbee or American Indian, you know, it was always inconsistent. It would have one year the school board says yes, one year the school board says no. Or one year the school board would say this student can, but the rest of y'all can't, mm. and so it it caused a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and, and also in Scotland, Hogan, Cumberland County, and actually Cumberland County Indian Education um, Services actually has their own eagle feather ceremony for all students in Cumberland County, but they can't wear them to school to graduation. Mm. So, um, so we sat down. It's something I, I've actually been been thinking about for a long time, and I filed the bill, and I tell you what, didn't get any opposition anywhere. But I had so many members come and tell me they can't already do this. This isn't already law. I, th- I thought they can. And so, you know, it's like, no, no, no. But we can now if I get your mm-hmm. vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing that being a new member, especially American Indian, has been able to allow me to do is to educate folks. Mm-hmm. So North Carolina's Indian country. Like we have more American Indians that live in North Carolina than we do North and South Dakota combined. Mm-hmm. And we think of the Dakota as being Indian country. So um, through that, that bill and some, and some other um, things that we've been able to do, I've been able to educate people about our indigenous populations, which has been really, really neat. But I, I, I tell you, I have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed learning people from different parts of the, uh, of the state. Most times people only see when there's that partisan line vote or when we're overriding vetoes and stuff like that. But most of the bills, you guys know, it's unanimous, or there's maybe five or ten dissenters, and we all get along. You know, I tell people, people told me that uh, when we passed the state budget, you know, we had like a midnight session. Mm -hmm. And someone told me, hey, wait till you experience this midnight session. And I'm telling you, that was the (laughs) funnest time I have (laughs) ever had on the floor because it's 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 11 o'clock at night. We're all loose. right? Uh People are taking off their their ties, their jackets. Everybody's relaxed. We're eating popcorn and people are enjoying it. They're still debating and Mm -hmm. they're still, you know, wanting to call people out on rules. Uh But we actually really get along very well. I mean, I think I saw more people crossing the aisle to sit and talk than they do, you know, at four o'clock when you're voting and you need more of that. Not saying we need more midnight sessions by no means, but we need more of people conversing. And and, and I really enjoyed that midnight session. I don't want to have many, but it was very, very different world. So, you know, this question is coming. The magic wand question. If you could change one thing in our politics, political, policy or otherwise what would it be so if i could change one thing about north carolina politics general assembly i i think i'm to the point where i do wish we were a full-time legislature Mm -hmm. 
not so we could get paid more, but I just think that there are so many things that are so important. It needs your, your full-time attention. And I, you know, other States, you know, they have hard deadlines, right? I think it's Virginia. You got 60 days, 60 calendar days to get mm-hmm. in and get out. And that's great. And that's fine. I'm sure it works for Virginia. And, but I think there are so many things in North Carolina being such a diverse growing state, um, that there's so many things that pop up that we, that needs more attention. Mm-hmm. And we need more than just one committee hearing and in the rules hearing and it's on the floor. You know, I think that some of these things need to be debated. Now, granted, I know that nothing, no, nothing new pops up today and, and is voted on tomorrow. Most of this stuff is debated for years, but I think in front of the public, you need more time. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a legislator to make sure that I'm, that I am able to respond to my constituents, I need more time. And I need more than just sometimes just more than one LA. Um, and I think the people needs my full attention. So if I, if there's one thing I could change, I think it would be great to have a full-time legislature. Um, because I'm telling you, I get calls all the time about all kinds of different things. And I hate when there's sometimes where I'm like, Hey, give me a few minutes and let me call you back. Or can I call you back this evening? And I, and, and it's important to them and it feels like I'm pushing them off. And I, I hate that, yeah. but that's the reality. And it's what we have to work in. But I really do wish I think that we probably would get along maybe a little better in the General Assembly members if we spent more time together. Um, you know, us as new members, we've tried to have a couple socials where we get together. We hang out, Democrats and Republicans. Um, and I think we need more of that. I think we need more of me understanding, you know, what what makes Brian and Sky tick, you know, what makes my you know, if you're members you know, tick. Um, because sometimes you have some heated disagreements. And if I don't know where your heart is, I'm, somebody might take it personal that we might disagree, um, and it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, I agree on both your magic wands. Uh, for one, I think we'd be more honest if we were doing the full-time mm-hmm. uh, position. It's I know we like to call it a part-time legislature, and that makes us feel good, but part-time to me seems like a 20-hour-a-week job. It, it can be a lot, and especially if you have a family and you are still working you it's a lot well representative jared lowry we appreciate everything you're doing in north carolina politics your service in the north carolina house you certainly know how to do politics better thank you for being on the podcast today thanks for having me the do politics better podcast is sponsored by the north carolina beer and wine wholesalers association Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I've always been fascinated with Robinson County. My sophomore year in college, I had a roommate, Sky. His name was Stuart McCall, and he was a Lumbee Indian from Robinson County. And he would just tell me stories about his mom, his grandparents. And a lot of the stories I felt like were very similar to Representative Lowry's stories that he shared with us, heartfelt, touching stories. I visited Stuart's home in Robinson County when it was spring break and we were heading down to Myrtle Beach for the week and we stopped in to have dinner at Stewart's mother's house. We go into this cinder block house in rural Robinson County. Half of the home was a dirt floor, the other half had a some sort of finish in it. The hospitality that Miss McCall showed us, showed me, delicious food, home-cooked meal as we were heading out. And, and talking to Representative Lowry, I just had this vivid memory of that day. Robinson County is a special place with a lot of needs, and they are very fortunate to have Representative Lowry representing them. Also, Senator Danny Britt and Representative Brendan Jones. If you look at the resources they were able to take back home in this budget, I imagine it's going to make a difference. Still have a lot of needs. But uh, Representative Lowry, thank you for coming on the podcast. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. 
Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. As Brian mentioned earlier, because of the war happening in Israel, it was a tough week to find a funny tweet. And I should just say that from the start. So I had to pivot. Just think, if you have a creative tweet and you're not sure whether or not to hit send, go ahead. At Brent. (laughs) Get it out of the drafts. But... The tweet that I'm using are some quote tweets, and I have been laughing for like the last 30 minutes reading these. The original tweet comes from Popcrave, a known (laughs) news organization. (laughs) It says, Congressman George Santos has been charged with conspiracy, wire fraud, false statements, falsification of records, aggravated identity theft, and credit card fraud. And his congressional photo is a photo that has been retouched. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's start there. Yeah, and that's not uncommon, no, right? It's we even not. see it at the General well, Assembly. Yeah, when they take your photos at the General Assembly, the portraits you can choose from a variety, some that are touched up and some that aren't. I would encourage folks to take a look at the photo because most of the comments were about that, but the people definitely showed their best selves in responding to this. So this is going to be less about the crimes he was charged with. So one response said, they just don't let guys have hobbies anymore. (laughs) Another one said, girl boss. (laughs) And even this headshot is fraudulent. (laughs) And then one of the best ones, they're not really after Santos. They're after you. Santos is just standing in their way. Oh, Mr. Santos, he's got to have a tough election coming up. Yeah. A lot of the comments were like, his first fraud charge should be this photo, things like that. (laughs) But it was just kind of the same thing over and over again. So I had to pick some different ones. Yeah. Hopefully the war comes to some conclusion very soon. It would be great to get back into some funny tweets. Mm -hmm. And NC Poll, you kind of let us down because there felt like there were some funny moments this week at the General Assembly. Whenever they're in session, there's always funny moments. Yeah. But you have completed your cycling and... I heard you participate in at least 50 conversations about it yesterday. Yeah, people were so nice about congratulating me and asking me about the ride. I did finish. It was a great week. I had so much fun. It wasn't so much fun in the mountains. You know, I'm more of a central North Carolina, even eastern North Carolina guy. So mountains to us here are not mountains to Banner Elk or Blowing Rock. That was insane. But... You know, the folks in North Carolina are so nice. We went to all these different cities. We would ride through and, you know, folks were feeding us. People were coming out of their homes to wave and offer us water. I just had such a great time. People even visited me on the route. I got Mm -hmm. a visit from Corey and Britt Bryson in in Wilkesboro. That meant so much. Folks checking on me. Hey, can I do laundry? I had a great time. My backside is killing me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I feel great, but I have been using a lot of desitin on the old bum here. So I'm glad to be back. Thank you yeah. for all your support. I talked to you every day while I was yeah, on did. the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're inseparable. <laughs> And I did send you with supplies. Yes, I did laundry in my bathtub every night because I had about four jerseys and three bibs. Those are basically cycle shorts and I needed to keep them fresh. So I would do laundry. You sent me with some borax and some vinegar and some baking soda. And I made these little concoctions and I was doing laundry. And so when folks texted me, I was like, nope, I'm all good. Thank you for the offer, but you don't have to do my stinky laundry. Yeah, you're such a good housewife. (laughs) No, (laughs) hanging out in a hotel, watching really bad TV and doing laundry, you know? Mm-hmm. It was fun, though. I can't say enough good things about Cycle NC, the state troopers, the organization. Check them out on the web. Just do a search of Mountains to Coast, Cycle NC. It's an annual event. Hope you do it one day. But you, this week, how'd you do without me? Oh, I look back on last week fondly. <laughs> 
Thank you for asking. The, the office was empty. It was. Yeah. Um, who did you have lunch with? You just sat and had lunch with yourself? Yeah. Okay. Got a lot done. You were cranking out stuff. Did you dread it when I came back on Monday? Were you like, oh, God, he's back? No, because you were still calling me every day. Yeah, yeah. I had dinner this past week on the ride with a guy from Southern Illinois. Yeah. From Oblong. Uh-huh. And I told him that, you know, look, I have a colleague who is from Lawrenceville. And the look of horror <laughs> on his face when I said that my colleague was from Lawrenceville was pretty shocking. Yeah, what, what was his beef against Lawrenceville? Well, he's a retired state trooper. He's down for the ride. He's a big cyclist. I said, well, her parents are small business owners in Lawrenceville. And he said, what kind of business do they own? And I th- think he thought maybe meth or cocaine or <laughs> yeah, something we, well, like we, that. We're, it's not a big cocaine place, but it is a big meth place. Yeah. So I said, no, they, you know, your dad's a, a broker and they own a car wash. And he's like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. And I told him about you and all the good work you do. He was so pleasantly surprised. He did not have a good opinion of Lawrenceville, but... Sounds like he probably shouldn't have a good opinion of Oblong either if he doesn't have a good opinion of Lawrenceville. So Oblong is one county over from us. It's about 40 miles away, 40 minutes, 40 miles. That's how Midwestern (laughs) math works. And (laughs) um, (laughs) unless you're behind a tractor, you know, and a a good amount of my friends in college were from Oblong or at least from Crawford County. I I was asking you, like, what's his name? Let me fact check with my friends. And anyway, I told my parents about it. Was it that same night or the next night? I'd been FaceTiming with them. And so I told them. They got defensive. Yeah, your dad bowed up, didn't he? (laughs) Like, how is Oblong better than Lawrenceville? It's like kind of the same thing. But we did all remember once that our local newspaper ran the front page headline of Oblong Man Marries Normal Woman. (laughs) Because of normal (laughs) Illinois, which is outside of like Bloomington. That's great. How does a town like Oblong get the name Oblong? Is it shaped like an Oblong? I don't know. How does a town like Hanging Dog get that name? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah you come for you come for my I, little ha- cities. I'll come for you. Hey, I'm not coming for anybody. I'm just saying I was reporting the news. That's all I was doing. I mean, I, I love Lawrenceville. The, everyone I know from Lawrenceville are wonderful people. How many people do you actually? Three. I know you, your mom, and your dad. Not my brother. I've never met your brother. Oh, <laughs> me. <either. laughs> that joke could get dark (laughs) family man family well next week we will be talking about those maps if they're unveiled if not we'll catch you up on whatever news there is for the week until then stay dry stay warm and remember to do politics better